You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. Hey there, watchers. Thanks for tuning back into the Midnight Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back and review older movies from the blockbusters to the lacklusters and see how relevant they are today. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh, and we have an amazing show lined up for you. Yep, and here we are again, just letting you know we are very heavy on the spoilers here. Uh, We try to renew, or rather, review movies that are at least 10 years old. We like to rate those movies in three categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? And third, we give it a rating for personal enjoyment. All right, Jeremy, what tasty treat of a film are we going to be discussing for our fellow watchers? On the menu today is a delicious slice of sci-fi action served farm to table by one of our absolute favorite directors, John Carpenter. This tantalizing morsel was handcrafted in 1981 and features another favorite here on the podcast, Kurt Russell. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we present to you Escape from New York. Mmm, so scrumptious. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell if this is an opening to a game show or a cooking show. <laughs> hey, it sounded bougie either way, so. Yes, it did. All right, let's see. Let me, uh, let's jump right into this real quick. We got a little bit of facts here. This is, uh, yeah, John Carpenter's Escape from New York, written and directed by John Carpenter. And starring Kurt Russell, Lee Van Cleef, Donald Pleasance, Ernest Borgnine, Isaac Hayes, Adrian Barbo, and Harry Dean Stanton. And it actually has a really cool poster, too. The poster is people running away in New York, and the uh, Statue of Liberty is like the head of Statue of Liberty is in the streets. So it's pretty intense, even though that doesn't happen in the movie. Right. But kind of reminds me more of, what, Planet of the Apes? Yeah, I actually read there's only four posters that have the Statue of Liberty's head on the ground. And Planet of the Apes was the first one. And then I don't remember the other one. Then there's this one. And then J.J. Abrams, who's a fan of this movie, is he did that with Cloverfield, except he did the opposite, where you see the Statue of Liberty without the head. Right. I remember and, that. And I think that's the... No, Planet of the Apes has has the, the head on in the actual movie. This one doesn't. It's just intense. That's kind of a classic John Carpenter move, though. Like In the 80s, John Carpenter really couldn't do too too much wrong like most of his movies in the 80s are classics right but this one at the time when it came out this was the biggest budget that he had ever had him and co-producer deborah hill it was a seven million dollar budget and it made nine million dollars opening weekend so it was definitely a hit right so that was pretty cool the total made 25 million dollars and this came out the same summer as Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the greatest action movies of all time. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. That's stiff competition, too. It really is. I mean, this one, if you're going to see Raiders and you're old enough, you're going to see this movie for sure. Because this movie was just super cool. Uh, watching it now, it's still got some really cool stuff in it. I mean, it's dated, but that it's got that 80s charm, though, where it's just... Right. 
it's still really interesting. And the, the other cool thing about this too is that Kurt Russell, they had him and John Carpenter had worked together previously on the TV movie Elvis, where he played Elvis. And this was the big movie though that actually trans uh, transferred him from Disney star to an actual adult action hero. So right, that was pretty yeah, cool. I know for me and, and probably for you too, to a degree. Um, I was a big Kurt Russell fan just because we grew up watching those old Disney movies that right. he was in, like Follow Me Boys and Computer the War Tennis Shoes. Oh, yeah, some, and some very, Barefoot Executive. Yeah, very family-friendly stuff, but but a lot of fun. Um, I still think those movies are fun today. They are. And this, this one definitely kind of... I mean, I guess... I actually haven't seen Elvis, but I think this one for sure kind of put him on the map as a, you know tough action kind of star yeah it definitely did he actually stated that snake plissken is his favorite character that he's ever played so yeah. which is why he uh his only i believe his only co-writing on an actual movie is the sequel escape from la because he enjoyed it so much he wanted to bring the character back so that's pretty cool that is super cool i also noticed too this i was just kind of taking a dive on that whole dystopian future kind of story and this one and mad max which also came out i think it came mad max i think came out in australia in 79 or 80 and then but basically the same time period kind of kicked off the 80s as far as the you know apocalypse post-apocalyptic future uh versus you know what it what they had done in the 70s like soylent green and planet of the apes and stuff like that which it seems like every decade there's there's a whole there's a new run of that post-apocalyptic dystopian future, yeah, you know, kind of thing. No, that's absolutely right because it's always, interesting. Always in style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always new. It's always in style. How much is our future gonna suck? <laughs> right, but it's actually funny you mentioned the Mad Max, the Road Warrior, Mad Max Two was released the same year as this movie. It came out, I think. I'm not sure if it came out before or after that, but. That was pretty interesting. That was America's. That's the one I saw. Yeah, that was America's uh, turn. Was the, that's why they released it under the Road Warrior. Everywhere else, it was Mad Max Two. I don't think the first movie was released wide in theaters. Yeah, it has. It, it even has kind of a indie kind of vibe to it. I, I love that one. I know some people think the the second one or Thunderdome is the best, but I really enjoyed the first one. Yeah, we'll have to do, we'll have to cover that one sometime. It does, man. I have so much trivia about about that movie and the new Mad Max uh, as well. So yeah, we'll stay right. away for. We'll definitely cover that one for sure. Uh, oh yeah, so this movie is cool. Kurt Russell had kind of a one-two punch. So 1981, he he starred in this movie. People loved him as being serious. I love, by the way, I love that he just whispers all of his lines. He's always like, "What's the deal?" And yeah. it's just he's totally channeling Clint Eastwood, which he. That was one of the characters that he used to come up with this role. But then also, 1982, right after this, he stars in John Carpenter's The Thing, which is one yes. of my favorite John Carpenter movies. Yeah, I think that might be my favorite. That's It's amazing. I, I, I think wait. so, too. I know, we're, I know we're covering that one. I can't wait. Yeah. So stay, that one, stay tuned, watchers. It's coming. It's coming. It, it, we'll, we'll get there eventually. So, okay, let's see. Oh, okay, so we were going to talk about where this idea came from for Escape from New York. This John Carpenter claimed that the 1962 sci-fi novel Planet of the Damned by Harry Harrison uh, was a huge... Uh, that's, that's actually a lot more sci-fi. It takes place 
on a different world, but apparently he took some ideas from that. And then he actually really liked the movie Death Wish, but he said he didn't agree with the, the politics of that, but he liked the idea that New York was like this urban, like, concrete jungle that was pretty scary where all kinds of crazy stuff was happening there so he took those ideas and the watergate scandal that had happened and came up with the the plot of escape from new york all right so the plot rundown is coming to you today straight from wikipedia and uh if it's not right we we will blame wikipedia i, I think it's <laughs> mostly right there's probably too much information in this but here we go so in 1988 following a 400 percent increase in crime the United States has turned Manhattan into a giant maximum security prison. A 50-foot wall surrounds the island, bridges have been mined, and all prisoners are sentenced to life terms. Now we jump forward, and it's the future. 1997, man, can you believe it? NATO is engaged in an escalating war with the Soviet Union across much of Europe, which threatens to become a nuclear holocaust. While traveling to a peace summit, Air Force One is hijacked by a domestic terrorist posing as a flight attendant. The president is given a tracking bracelet and is handcuffed to his briefcase containing a cassette tape describing the secret of, to using nuclear fusion for electricity generation, intended to be a peace offering. He ejects in an escape pod, landing in Manhattan just before the plane crashes. The police are dispatched to rescue the president. Romero, the right-hand man of the Duke of New York, who is the overall crime boss, warns that the Duke has the president who will be killed if any further rescue attempts are made. Commissioner Bob Hawk offers a deal to Snake Pliskin, a former Special Forces soldier convicted of attempting to rob the Federal Reserve. If Snake rescues the president and the cassette tape, Hawk will arrange a presidential pardon. To ensure his compliance, Hawk has Pliskin injected with micro-explosives that will rupture his arteries within 22 hours. If Snake is successful, Hawk will neutralize the explosives. Snake uses a stealth glider to land atop the World Trade Center. He follows the tracking bracelet to an old vaudeville theater, only to find it on the wrist of an insane old man. Convinced the president is dead, Snake radios Hawk, but is told that he will be shot down if he comes out empty-handed. Snake meets a character named Cabby, who remained in Manhattan after it became a prison, and now drives an armored taxi. Cabby takes Snake to Harold the Brain, Hellman, an advisor to the Duke and a former associate of Snake. Brain is a brilliant engineer and has established an oil well and a small refinery, fueling the city's uh, remaining cars. Brain tells Snake that the Duke plans to lead a mass escape across the Queensboro Bridge by using the President as a human shield and following a landmine map that Brain has drawn up. Snake forces Brain and his girlfriend Maggie to lead him to the Duke's compound at Grand Central Terminal. Snake finds the President, but is captured himself. Now, at this point, Snake is forced to fight in a death match against Slag, this giant pro-wrestler-looking guy. Brain and Maggie kill Romero and flee with the president. Snake kills Slag and takes Brain, Maggie, and the president to the top of the world, Trade Center, to escape in the glider. After a band of crazies, that's kind of lame, but anyways, destroys it, the group returns to street level and encounters Cabby, who offers to take them across the bridge. When Cabby reveals that he bartered with Romero for the cassette ta uh, tape, cassette tape, I can talk. The president demands it, but Snake takes it instead. The Duke pursues them onto the bridge, setting off mines as he tries to catch up. Brain guides Snake, but they hit a mine and Cabby is killed. As they continue on foot, Brain is killed by another mine. Maggie refuses to leave him, shooting at Duke's car until she is run down. 
Snake and the president reach the wall, and, and guards raise up the president via, via a rope. The duke opens fire, killing the guards, but then the president kills the duke with a dead guard's assault rifle. Snake is lifted to safety, and the micro-explosives are neutralized after he hands over the cassette tape to Hawk. As the president prepares for a televised speech to the leaders at the summit meeting, he thanks Snake and tells him that he can have anything he wants. All Snake wants is to know how the president feels about the people who died saving him. The president offers only half-hearted regret and lip service for their sacrifice. As Snake walks away in disgust, Hawk offers him a job as his deputy, but Snake just keeps walking. The president's live speech commences and he plays the cassette tape, but to his embarrassment, it only plays Cabby's song, which is Bandstand Boogie. As Snake continues to walk away, he unravels the real cassette tape containing the president's intended message, deliberately shredding it. That's how it ends. You don't mess with Snake Plissken. No, man. This is also interesting, too, because this movie heavily influenced the video game's Metal Gear Solid, or Metal Gear, the series, which is pretty cool because they have Solid Snake oh, and yeah. all the other snakes. I have not played that many uh, of those games. I, I in, intend to. I just haven't gotten to them yet. Sure. I only played Metal Gear Solid, but I liked it. It was a fun game. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So, so do you do you remember when you first watched this movie? I don't actually. I really don't. I've seen it like 15 years ago. I got on a big kick about 15 years ago and I just watched a ton of movies and I think it was right around then that uh, that I watched this. But I, I, when I rewatched it to, for us to review it, it was almost like watching a completely new movie. I have I literally only remembered a couple of scenes from this. So Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was interesting because I, I finished it and I was just like, huh, because... It's not like the thing where I've seen that movie plenty of times. And right. so this one, I had to really think about it. And I kind of, I had time. So I just jumped right in and watched the sequel, Escape from L.A., which I remember the first time I saw Escape from L.A., I did not like it. And now I understand that it is more of a satirical look at it. So it's kind of, it's kind of like Evil Dead 1 and 2, how Evil Dead, it's basically a remake of the first movie with different plot, a different setting. Sure. And then same thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2 where the, that one, the second movie, is a complete satirical version of the first one. So, yeah, we'll talk about that from a, a different one. But actually, that movie tanked, though. People did not like that movie because they originally they were going to make a third movie, Escape from Mars. which Oh, really? Yeah, which then they, because the, because the second movie didn't do well, they rewrote it and it became John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. So, really? Yeah. Dang, that's a crazy different direction, but that sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, so that that is pretty interesting. And Well, well, John Carpenter, if you're hearing this, please uh, get back on that. We want that. I kind of feel like it's about, it's about time. It's like 16, 17 years after the first one when the second one was made. So why not? You know, I, yeah. think, it, I think it'd be cool actually to see Kurt Russell uh, reprise this role as like the old version of this. That would be yeah. really cool. And if they make it... Maybe. Make it serious again, not make it satirical. But oh, for sure. So this this is where it definitely I feel conflicted with this because uh, there's apparently there was a scene where Snake and an accomplice they actually robbed the bank and then they get arrested and sentenced to New, to New York. But test audience thought it would drag along too long, so they cut the scene out of the movie. So they just had to talk about it, right? Oh, which that's, I was that's cool. Which I wish they had, maybe they have it as a deleted scene on the a special DVD. I haven't seen that, but I was like that would be really cool to see. 
Right. Well, the first time I saw this one, um, back uh, when I worked in Sacramento, uh, we had um, my buddies and I. We we set up what we called a well, it was just it was Movie Sunday when I worked on Sundays, and we called it the Sacramento International Film Society. <laughs> and so we would we would pick that's some, awesome. Yeah, it was super fun. We would pick a theme for the day and bring in all the movies that lined up with that theme, and it, it could be a topic or a genre or a director or I remember this day in particular was just Kurt Russell day and it it wasn't I don't think we played any of his Disney movies I think the the I don't know most family friendly one we played was Overboard oh um, gotcha which actually was was super fun I hadn't seen it until then but oh really uh, that was a f- yeah and uh that was the first time that I saw Escape from New York and uh it was just a lot of fun just kind of doing a binge on his his stuff as a not child star like <laughs> his most star. like his i would say his most popular roles probably this one yeah well that and the overboard like that's a super oh, famous yeah. movie yeah for sure that's really cool that sounds like a lot of fun it was i uh i totally missed that shout out to all you uh sacramento international film society members there's about 10 or 12 of us i think all together it was a fun fun time you guys definitely need to get together again and uh do it do it again sometime whenever you can yeah well maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a member or two on here sometime for a little uh little interview or uh some uh, other commentary that sounds good so all right you ready Jump let's in. let's do it well actually okay. hang on let's not do it let's i got two more pieces of trivia okay bring it <laughs> okay evil like dead evil dead came out this same year so oh yeah, that's pretty awesome. And then also, it, you know, it really was. And then also, too, in this movie, the reason that Snake wears an eye patch was because apparently during World War Three, his helmet cracked and then the iris in his left eye was paralyzed due to poison gas. And he wears the eye patch due to extreme light sensitivity. So okay. they actually wrote like a full on uh, story, screen story. You know how they released the movie in like book form? Right. But apparently this book form has a ton of backstory and explains that the the nerve gas in the United States is actually slowly making everybody go crazy. So really? yeah, that kind of it's it's really interesting. I wish that I I, I want to try to find a copy of that. I think that'd actually be really interesting. So yeah, anyways, let's jump into it. Sounds good. So I first I love the use of miniatures in this movie when they do the flyover scenes and you're looking at it and you're like, Oh, that's a miniature. That's yeah. just, it's just cool. This movie was actually groundbreaking with some of the computer-generated effects that they had. Yeah, I believe it. I I could totally see that for 1981. I mean, you're you're fresh out of the 70s, and computers are still kind of a big deal. One thing that I really loved immediately with this with this movie is the theme song when it kicks off. It's it's full of synth. Um, and one thing I love is synthesizers and, and two, coincidentally, the other thing I love are Jeeps and this movie is chock full of both synthesizers <laughs> and Jeeps. So it kind of synthetic kinda Jeeps. one-two punch for me. <laughs> well, that's true. There is a lot of Jeeps in this movie. There are just driving randomly everywhere on the base. Well, that and helicopters, dude, there are just helicopters taking off and landing constantly. It's almost... It's almost annoying to listen to it. It's just constantly in your ear. Yeah, absolutely. 
Dude, this this movie I had totally forgot. Uh, since it's been so long since I've seen this movie, I did not remember that Lee Van Cleef was in this film. So oh, I know I totally forgot too. Even in you know, I, I saw it sooner than you, or more recently than you have. I totally forgot about it. But just seeing him, anything with Angel Eyes in it, I was like, that's freaking awesome. And apparently, he shot all of his scenes in one night too. He actually had a knee injury, so he just did it all in one night. Wow. Yeah, that that, that dude's a legend. He really is. It's funny though. I I really can only think of him from from his westerns. I'm sure he had to have done other stuff. Right. Same here. I also I mean, this this the cast is pretty stacked, like pretty well. It I mean, is. You, you got Donald Pleasance, who he had previously worked with John Carpenter on Halloween, and then you got Ernest Borgnine, which he always I didn't realize that I was such a fan of his until I kept seeing him in different movies, and I was like, I really like that guy. Right. You figure out who that guy is. And then, I mean, you got the Dirty Dozen and you got the Wild Bunch. Like, I feel like anytime he was on screen when he was playing Cabby in this movie, that, I don't know, he just he just has that, like, such a happy smile. and I, Which is funny, oh, though, sure. because he can yeah. play, like, all kinds of characters. Well, he's a, he's a master character actor, for sure. Yeah, he really is. I mean, a good character actor, it's almost like they steal the scene, but don't. Yes. It's weird how that works. Yes. And I I had no idea that Isaac Hayes was in this movie. Like, that that was so cool. When I just saw that, right. I was like, that's freaking legit, because his music's so good. And I don't... I honestly can't say I've ever seen him act before, so I just was like, oh, that's cool. He's the main villain in this movie. That's so cool. Right. I did particularly like his cyberpunk pimp look. Yes. Rocking it. Yes. And the chandeliers on the cars... Yeah, that was that was pretty dope. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. They the thing that was funny too. Okay, so I didn't remember too much from this movie, but the one thing that I remembered from this movie is the dude whose name is Romero. I yeah. I always remember now. I was like the guy who looks like Bowie, you know, like the yeah, you know. And then watching it this time, I was like, he looks more like somebody from Dragon Ball with his hairstyle. Dude, that's totally. It. That's exactly what I was gonna say. It's Dragon Ball Z all the way. Right. Like they but, had to have. They had the whatever the blonde character from Dragon Ball Z. I it's a little before my time, or after my time, after my time. But anyways, um, they had to have patterned that character after Romero because the hair is dead on. Even the face, is right, dead on. It, it really is. It's just it's so funny when you just see him when he was walking up when he's like doing that that laugh. And then yeah. he, and then he's like super serious when he's talking, and you're like, "Oh, this guy's actually not crazy. He's just like, right. he's he's dialed in." I thought it was right. interesting too. I can't remember. There's another guy whose name is Cronenberg in this movie, and I was like, "Wait a second. You have Romero. You have Cronenberg. These are other like staples in horror from the '80s." Mm-hmm. So I was like, "That's pretty cool. That I definitely bet that wasn't on purpose or that wasn't by accident." Yeah, that that was pretty cool. But the okay, so I, I will say this though: this movie. A little slow in the beginning, like no, for sure. They 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 really try to set it up, but there's it's like there's not a lot to set up. <laughs> but they're trying. Right. <laughs> but I feel like they did get the mo like the mood is pretty good. Okay, so yeah. like example for police movies uh, for for policemen, um, <laughs> hot fuzz policemen officers, <laughs> um, <laughs> policemen officers, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um. So, comparing it to another movie, that the Dawn of the Dead, how, like, the police in that movie are just, like, 
fanatics and just blowing people away. And in this movie, they're all like, I felt like they were less, that they were more organized and more military than. Oh, for sure. Then well, I think they actually called that. them police troopers or something. Oh, did they? Correctly. And they, they definitely acted like it. And that was one of the things I had put down in my notes, just that every time you see them, they're hustling. They're just, there's no walking. They're oh, running. Oh, yeah. Every, <laughs> everywhere they go, they're running. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's like, hey, let's, uh, let's fill up the time a little bit. Let's put another sh- scene with the choppers getting loaded. Go, 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 right. go, go. <laughs> yeah, right. It'd be exhausting being a, an extra <laughs> playing police trooper. <laughs> right. Which, oh, you know what's funny? I just thought about it. Maybe they had to do that because they actually had to, that was the, they were the first film crew that actually got to film on the, uh, the, I'm, dang it, I forgot the name of the, where the Statue of Liberty is, but that they filmed at night. They were the, the first film crew that got to do that in oh, cool. film history. So that was pretty cool. So maybe they were like, we don't have a lot of time. We got to look like we have a lot of energy. Come on, guys, let's move. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> we don't got all night. <laughs> right. What do we have tonight? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the lines in this movie. So there's not an extreme amount of talking in this movie, and there's not exactly a lot of plot in this movie. Right. But I think there's actually a lot of memorable lines because the way that Kurt Russell delivers his lines, he's so calm every bit of the movie except for when action's going down, which actually that adds to a little gripe, to be honest, because like when he's first walking around, he is yeah. not paying attention to his surroundings at all. He's just walking around with the gun out. And I was like, dude, nobody here has guns. Like, wouldn't you right. stand out? Like, yeah. But anyways, but I do really like his character. I, I've got to admit, oh, yeah. I want to go well, buy I some. Like, I feel like the way he was just like stalking his way through the movie like a jungle cat. Just right, just, like powerful, slow, just total. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So that, cool. That makes so a lot much, of sense. So much swagger. He did. No, he had a lot of swagger. I'll tell you, though, who else had some swagger? Lee Van Cleef. Did you see that earring that he was sporting? <laughs> dude, the earring. And then, hey, as a man who is follically challenged, that dude was rocking the halo big time. That fringe hair, dude. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, and granted, this was the 80s, and, and it wasn't until, you know, well, I mean, Telly Saval, he, he was uh, shiny and proud with his dome, as I am myself, but... Uh, I know there wasn't a lot of options for bad <laughs> dudes, but good lord, he's just—he's all about that fringe. I feel like I, for me, I, I don't know if this is true, but the first time I noticed when action stars started becoming more bald was when Bruce Willis finally shaved his head, and then it was oh, like, yeah. oh, ever after this, if you want to be a serious action star, and but then Jason Statham, well, Jason Statham, he takes it boy. back, you know, keep it close shave, but it's still yeah. still rocking it, so. Yeah, there is hope for for everyone out there with loss of fish or loss of uh, head hair. There, yes, absolutely. I actually thought this movie. So as soon as Snake lands, the tension in this movie is actually pretty high, and they do a really good. John Carpenter does a wonderful job of creating this world where I bought it. Where it's like you have no idea what's about to go down, and oh, yeah. I totally bought. Which is funny because this movie was mainly shot in St. Louis. Actually, it wasn't shot in New York. There's only like one shot in this movie that's actually in New York because it was too expensive to film there. But but the, it's just they sell it though. I'm, I mean, and so I'm like, man, this is this is so cool. And actually, yeah. the sequence when the crazies just start popping up out of nowhere, and that's actually a pretty creepy and uh, it's a great scene because yeah, you actually it almost has a zombie kind of feel. 
It does because you're not sure what's going on and you're 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 I'm I'm worried about the main character. I don't even know for sure what's going on. You could tell that he doesn't know what's going on, but he's right. pulling pulling on but that with his with his swagger, you're kinda like he's looking at the situation and he's almost like, All right, two guys, I can do it. Three guys, cool. Five, six, ah, I'll probably be okay. Oh crap, there's a lot of them. I need to I need to go. <laughs> right. He ducks into the diner. I am snake Plissken, Plissken, <laughs> but I am also just a man. <laughs> right. And also, I have limited uh, limited ammo. Right. Oh, I have a fun fact to interject here. So after he finds out that the president is not where he thought he was, and the crazies start to come after him, this is after he leaves that the vaudeville theater, and he ends up running into like a cafe or something, an abandoned cafe. Yeah. And there's a the girl he meets in there. Yeah. That was actually his wife at the time. That makes so much sense now why it says, that's, what, what was her name? Season something? Uh, I just had it. Darn it. Season, yeah. Season Hubley or Hubley. Okay. Because I was, when it says in the credits, like, guest appearance, and I was like, I unfortunately don't know who this person is. That makes right. so much sense then. Because. Uh, I, only, I only know this because I was nerding out on him a few weeks ago and was just reading some of his bio stuff and just saw who he was married or just who he was with before um he was with goldie and he was only with her for a few years but they did have a kid together oh okay and then she actually was in some other um kind of cool 80s like horror horror films really yeah okay we're gonna have to check those out that's pretty i'm i'm uh, in case uh, you listeners don't know I am all about 80s horror movies. I am constantly looking for new 80s horror movies on like Amazon Prime. There, There's a lot of terrible 80s horror movies on there that I quite enjoy because uh, that's just that's just what I enjoy on it when I'm tired. Got to throw one on and try to try to get through it. Oh, for sure. Well, I'm looking at her movies that she was in. I guess they weren't great. They were just kind of B-movies she was in. Was it something called Lolly Madonna or something? Oh man, that's a classic. You don't know that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where have you been? Yeah. And then uh, she was in Vice Squad. And I don't know what that's about, but I can't. Now I want to see that. That is a great name for a movie. <laughs> the oh, Vice Squad. In, uh, Children of the Corn Port Part Five. You know everyone's favorite Children of the Corn. That's true. Yes. Oh, speaking of Children of the Corn. Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> right. So, all right, so jumping into this, what was one of your favorite scenes from this movie? So, yeah, yeah. One, of, one of the scenes that I was kind of interested in that just kind of caught my attention was when Cabby takes Snake to meet Brain, and you first meet Brain's girlfriend, who is Adrienne Barbo. I think, I don't know that I said her name right. But anyways, she is the, the heroine in Swamp Thing, which really? is, is a fun uh, that was that was Wes uh, Craven, right? So, oh, oh, I thought you were talking about Swamp Facts. I was like Swamp Fox. <laughs> Swamp Fox. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, another tie into the. We were talking Disney, Disney earlier. <laughs> Disney nineteen sixties. I was like, man, that's amazing. Oh, she looks that's great. A, like, like I know. <laughs> <laughs> she's old enough okay. to be grandma. That's fantastic. <laughs> right. She doesn't no. age. <laughs> Swamp Thing. The, okay. The monster storyline from DC. That's oh, cool. I, I didn't know that. No, yeah, the, but the, she, that's where I recognized her because I think also because of the uh, 
the internet Sacramento International Film Society. Uh, we also watched a lot of horror movies, and I think Swamp Thing was on one time. But I recognize her from that. So getting to watch it kind of all together in one general time period, it was kind of cool seeing a lot of these actors in the '80s, you know, pop up in each other's movies. Oh yeah, and the more you find out about movies at the same time, like what's going on, the feeling, the vibe, it's it's so much more entertaining because then you can really see like what why these movies got made and just just seeing all the, the actors at the same time is amazing. Right. And and why you would go to the movies to see some of these actors. Like I mean Adrian Barbo, I mean she was she was a babe back then, so Yeah. You know, you might want to go check it out because she was in it. Absolutely. That totally makes a lot of sense. One thing also that I enjoy, so you've got the Duke, you've got his caddy, massive land yacht caddy with you know, chandeliers mounted yes. on the, the front and the, the back. Dude, the music total, when that total pimp ride. The music when that comes or when he ro- starts rolling up, it reminded me of a scene from the A Team where like when, <laughs> when like you see the cars rolling up and then that bass hits, boom, 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 boom. Oh yeah, you're like something's about to go down. Well, that's, I mean, we got it just taking a, a side trail for a second. John Carpenter also writing the score for this movie. He's just, he's so rock and roll with his scores. Like he was definitely, I would say, cutting edge for the time. Yeah. As far as putting out good, good soundtracks to his movies. But he's, he's dead on with the, with the vibe that he's, he's shooting. Yeah, absolutely. That's. That he's so inspiring. Just that's why uh, he's one of my favorite directors because he's so inspiring. Because of the, the fact oh, yeah. that that he does the music and you're, it's just it's it's mind blowing. I mean, there's there's definitely some other uh, directors that do that as well and do it very well. I mean, Clint Eastwood, he's another guy that's just stupid talented. Oh right? wait, he's, I thought you were gonna say he composes as well. He does. Really? Yeah. I did like, not know that. Yeah. No, he he writes these great like kind of jazz only inspired type pieces um you remember grand torino yeah and it's got these this cool orchestrated soundtrack well he wrote and directed that as well um i think he did some of the stuff for well i'm gonna i'm not gonna quote something i'm not 100 percent on but yeah he also writes music and then uh another one that i know you and i were super into for a while but robert rodriguez also i did know about him really cool uh, very iconic. Well, I, I don't know if that's iconic, but when I hear his soundtracks, you know it's his movie, just with his slide electric guitar, it's kind of bluesy, kind of dirty rock and roll sound. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. So going back to the car, going off that rabbit trail, back to the <laughs> car. So you have the caddy, which is pretty cool, and then you end up with, I think it was Brain's car. Oh, no, 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 no. It was one of the Duke's uh, entourage, one of the one of the homies rolling with him. They had that huge like country squire station wagon, that eighties boat. Yes. That thing is that thing is a tank and that thing they smashed through a wall of cars with it. Yes. And I think that was that was realistic effects too. I don't think they had to do anything special. They just drove that thing straight through it. Uh, that would not surprise me. It was a great scene. Yeah. Those those cars are, are a beast. I know the one that we had growing up. I don't think it was even that big, but but that car was was also pretty hefty. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And then of course Cabby's cab. That was super cool too. That that fifties Bel Air. Yeah, and I like too. All armor plated and everything. 
Right. I like, too, that, like, when he rolled up, the music immediately set the tone for who he was as a character. Oh, yeah. He's definitely, you know what? I'm in a crappy situation here. I live in this prison city, and, uh, you know, the glass is half full. <laughs> We're doing okay. <laughs> He's, exactly. <laughs> He's like, I still got I'll my car. Alone, don't kill me. Right. The part two when he's like, I, I didn't want to miss the show, but I don't normally come down to this part of the, the area in the neighborhood. Right. Which, dude, when he when Snake goes down into the theater under and he goes underground and you see those different sequences of of what's going on, you're just I'm just like that move. That's when the movie totally got me because I was like, what's going on now? Like oh, yeah. we're we're in the pit. Just the the scenes are getting darker, and he he finds the one guy that's got the tracking device that is clearly crazy, and he's and like, obviously oh, not the president. Yeah, obviously not the president, and the, all of that, and you're just going into this like this this just dark part of humanity, and I was really enjoying it because that it then it really brings you into a world that you have not seen before, where you're like, okay, this is post apocalyptic New York. We're going to see what, how the gangs actually work. Is it right. is there an actual hierarchy to the society, or is it just all for one? And then the, the way that they slowly show go into that, and like Cabby talks about, like, this is a bad neighborhood. You go to a different neighborhood, and then they, they talk about other stuff. They could make other movies that, ha- that take place in the same area because they did such a good job setting up this right. world. And it the definitely... Thing, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off real quick, but... Uh, the movie Warriors, it totally feels like that too. Where that's a good sections, point. Different sections of the city feel like different gangs run it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great. Yeah, I think that movie came out a couple of years before this movie. Right. That no, that is a really really good uh, comparison for sure. This movie uh, now, when the movie Doomsday came out, I was super psyched because I was like, okay, cool, they're gonna have like a modern day spin on escape from new york because as much as i like escape from new york i feel like they there's so much more they could have done with it which now i realize it's because they are on budget constraint like this is a shoestring budget and can you imagine the sets the set design and everything they could have really gone to the the lengths they could have gone to on this oh yeah it's amazing what they accomplished for the budget this is like a big budget indie film pretty much and that's why i think i like a lot of john carpenter's movies from the 80s is because he hadn't gotten like the full support of different movie making companies yeah studios and then like you look at the 90s movies that he's done and they're just there's he's still done some great ones like in the mouth of madness and things like that um in the 90s but it's like where his sweet spot is is his most creativity is is definitely in the 80s when he's kind of up and coming and right. having having to prove himself over and over, so I thought the oh, for sure. I thought the movie Doomsday was going to take this concept and just like blow it out of the water, and it didn't really do that. So no, I really wanted it to be a lot cooler than it was, <laughs> dude. I watched that movie again with high hopes. I was like, maybe I just didn't understand it. Right, S- still the same reaction. I was like, okay, well, moving on, moving on. Yeah. Do you have a uh, specific things that you want to uh, talk about in the movie? So another another part that was fun for me was when he ends up in that death match with, <laughs> with that giant dude. Slag. Slag. And uh, one, one, two, two things I would like to make a statement on. And one, I'm glad to see that in the future of 1997, when we have a prison city such, such as this, 
Uh, I'm glad to see that in said prison, racism apparently doesn't exist. That black and white can coexist together in their um, criminalness and you know run together as a solid prison gang, which is which is good to see. And also, I'm very happy to see that pro wrestling is the chief <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> Absolutely, is what everybody is into. Absolutely. You know, that that scene, too, apparently that actor that was fighting Kurt Russell was getting into the, the role a little too intense. So Kurt Russell had to kind of kind of tap him in the nuts to get him to calm down. Cause, Relax a little bit. Yeah, because apparently he was, like, really getting into it. And he's like, I was really afraid of getting hit with a spiked bat. And so right. that was pretty good. Oh, dude, we got to talk about this. Okay. The sexiest reveal of all of all reveals in this movie is when he wakes up, got the full on cobra tattoo on his stomach. Oh so, yeah, dude! Yeah, so awesome. You want to be a man? Get the full on tattoo. Get a full cobra tattoo on your stomach. Yes, so absolutely. Rad. This movie was actually called. He was called the Cobra in uh, overseas. I can't remember which area of the world it was, but they yeah they redubbed it, and he was the Cobra. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Cobra Pliskin. Right. But going back to the to the wrestling scene, uh, another little fun fact, he was a he was a semi pro baseball player for a number of years. And Oops. he played Who, Kurt Slag? Russell. Kurt Russell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Slag, I have no idea. He looks more like a football player to me. <laughs> but, That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, there's a super good documentary or I just I really enjoyed it on Netflix called uh the, the Bastards of Baseball, I believe it's called. I, it's about, I remember that, yeah. It's about a single-A baseball team in Portland, Oregon that Kurt Russell's dad owned and ran, and Kurt played for them for a little bit, kind of towards the end of his minor league career because he blew out his knee or something like that and wasn't able to pursue that because he was, he was seriously headed for the majors, and he had just finished up his contract with Disney and was all in on baseball, and then he got hurt, and then it just kind of fizzled out, and then that's where he ended up basically becoming Snake Plissken. <laughs> so, basically, there you heard it, folks. There you go. Yeah. So, first off, blow your career in baseball, and then you'll become the next action hero of the of the next decade. Yeah. That's tried, pretty... Tried and tested, my friend. Tried and tested. <laughs> tried and tested. That's awesome. I thought it was interesting, too. The Donald Pleasance in this movie is very... Uh, low-key amazing because he's just the terror in his eyes for the majority of this movie sells his scenes really well because most of the time we see him in a movie he's in control he's the guy knows what's going on even in halloween he when he's fighting michael he's still like he's got the gun he's never like super unhinged and in this movie especially on the train scene when he's like, who are you? What's going on? Like they do a good job where he's like, he has no idea who snake Plissken is, except this guy is killing people right now. Right. So it's, it's a pretty cool movie. It's it for dating. What dated wise, I, it doesn't hold up to the new action movies, of course, of like, Oh no way. John Wick and stuff like that. But, but I'm with you. I, I mean, I wrote it in my notes. I just said, it is a freaking cool movie. It just screams, this is super cool. And I think it carried that that throughout it and I think it I think it holds up as far as cool action movies from the early 80s. Yes. I definitely agree. Uh, there's I mean there's I mean you got the quintessential ones like I mean like for example Raiders came out the same the same year. Raiders is 
It's a different flavor, though, of action movie. Oh, this sure. is this is like well, the like darker. A, it's like adventure. I would say that's a totally adventure action. That's true. And this one, it, it this one has that sci-fi kind of vibe to it because it is very much in the future, and uh, and obviously Indiana Jones is is a kind of a period piece because you're. That's true. You're fat Nazis. Right in the 1930s. That makes right. sense. So with this one too, though, I also like. The the end sequence, the way that this movie wraps up is pretty good. And I thought it was amazing for me how I, when you're first introduced to Brain and Maggie, is that her yes. name, Ma- Maggie? And you're just kind of like, oh, these are throwaway characters. But then, like, when they die at the end of the movie, you're Dude, just like... I was just going to say that, yeah. You're like, Go oh, especially when he's like, the left side! And then he just gets blown up. Right. It's like, that's a great sequence. And then when she's just like... Freedom, she's right there, and there's freedom right there, and she's just like, no, like, I've totally, like, my world now was just brain, and so, like, the, the right. fact that, also, too, that was a freaking brutal hit, like. Dude, I know, that I was, that was also in my notes, was her death scene. It's, yeah. It is, it's stone cold, man, she's like, I'm avenging my dude, she's got that 357, and she is just staring down the car that's just barreling towards her, and she's just stone cold, just pumping rounds into it until... She just gets splattered. Oh, it's yeah, it's pretty epic. That's probably actually the most violent sequence in the movie too. I think it's just the aftershock, yeah. which is oh, funny sure. too. Um, I also read that the um, with test audiences that apparently that so I don't know if this is true or not, but I read this on the interwebs that it must be true. Must be true that J.J. Abrams, who was like 15 at the time, told John Carpenter that because his dad worked in the movie industry that he told john carpenter that the audience may not have understood that maggie was dead and so then they actually reshot the um, the sequence with uh adrian under her own car in her in her garage that see that shot to show clearly that she had been killed okay so i don't know if that's true or not but if it is that's really interesting it's a cool internet legend right i'll ask jj one day for that right after i ask him what happened with Star Wars? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's perfect. That is obviously the second question you would ask him. That is the second question. Questions. So did you really tell John Carpenter about Maggie? Yeah. Right. Obviously. You know what? That's, that's funny you say that. I was having a hard time as I watched this movie finding why is it rated R? I mean, there's definitely some F-bombs in it, but it it's not that violent of a movie. And I don't think it's because I'm desensitized or some something stupid like that. I, it's just not that graphic well i mean i mean that that part was but let's see well the one guy's hand gets blown off um when the crazies are coming through the wall the and he moves that one piece of furniture to try to block him when he's trying to get out of there and then he somebody puts their hand on the corner and he shoots him and the hand explodes right but you're right there's not really it's not an extremely violent movie which is kind of I think why the first time I saw this movie, I was a little frustrated because this movie was like has such a legend around it, and then you right. watch it and you're like, "You're right, it's actually not that intense of a movie." But well, it, I, no, I think that's is. I think it's the opposite. I think it is an intense movie, but it doesn't need a bunch of gory violence to move the story along. It's this. I would definitely say it's not a horror movie, but with John Carpenter coming from his horror background. It definitely is able to um, build up the tension oh, through for sure. multiple scenes. Excuse me, multiple Absolutely. scenes. So yeah, and then kind of my last 
my last two thoughts about the movie it, itself, just scene wise, I just I thought it was just kind of funny how you know it's the president for the win. He's the one that guns down the Duke. Oh um, yeah, kind of melodramatic. And then on top of that, you've got Snake. He's just he's stone cold in, stone cold out. Just right. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on a both bad, those. Bad man. He's just. I love how he's just like yeah. The scene, the the fight's over, and he's just so like, I'm fed up with all this. You know what? Forget it. I'm just leaving. I'm, I'm just, done. I'm just gonna go away. And right. so I guess Kurt Russell said at one part that Snake has lives one minute of his life at a time. So whatever he's got going on at that minute is that's what's important to him. Oh, I wow. like the. Okay, so maybe this is the second movie, but he asks. I think he asked several people where he's like, "Got a smoke." Like several times. Does it was that in this movie? I don't think it was. I yeah, I don't recall that. In fact, I don't think he smoked at all in this movie. Oh, he gives what's his name, his wife at the time a smoke because she's oh, like, oh, you just right. got in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. That's a that's the from the sequel. Which I will say, if you watch the sequel with an open mind, there's some really funny sequences in the the second movie. Oh, for sure. But anyways, we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about no, Escape from New York. Well, do you have any uh, anything else to add before we jump into the the final thought wrap up? Hit our hit our points. I actually liked the whole sequence. That the reason he didn't just get in the glider and fly off was that they injected him with that whole like the explosions that were going to blow out the two arteries in his neck if he didn't get back right. in time. And that actually added a lot of tension to for, to the story because otherwise I was like, okay, if he doesn't find him. Then he's just going to be like, all right, I can get out of here. But he's like, no, I got to get out of here at this certain time. And that was really cool. I like that, actually. Yeah. I thought that, that was cool. T- that countdown added its own, you know, tension to it. And, of course, you know, him running to get the the explosives neutralized right down to the last second. Ah! And he right. makes it. And he makes it. I, I liked it. I thought that was pretty cool. There, was. There's a lot of great little character moments in this movie where you're just the scenes playing some of them didn't work quite well for me. Like when Donald Pleasance, the president is tied up and they're shooting the machine gun at him. I felt like that scene was kind of like, like, why are you shooting at the guy that's your meal ticket out of here? Right. But then there's other sequences that like the one where they go in and they find the president again and he's wearing a wig and and you're just like, (laughs) that makes sense where they're just like messing with him. So, (laughs) which apparently that was Donald Pleasance idea as well. Okay. Yeah. It's so crazy because you see him in these other roles and I'm just, I don't know, just looking back and doing these reviews, you learn so much about the time period. You're like, dude, these guys are so cool. So, oh, okay. I will say this real quick before we wrap up. I, I laughed out loud when the cab cabbie blew up, like it's it's specifically in half. That was like, oh yeah, that was like a perfect slice. Yeah. That was, that was pretty fun. Like a silent film gag right there. And yeah. And they're like, everybody's okay except for Cabby. <laughs> That's the, he's the only guy. He died with his car, which I guess now that I'm talking about it, that is kind of poetic, actually. Very, very. Because he said. On, a little bit on the nose, but, but very poetic. Very poetic. John Carpenter, I, I don't think, is known very well for poeticness, but he's made for some great 80s movies for sure. For sure. Yeah, I feel like it definitely nailed the dystopian future, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning here. And I think, uh, especially from an early 80s viewpoint, how they might have seen the world going at the time. Yes. 
that's uh, i th- i think it told a great action story for its time yeah i agree and uh okay so yeah i think going hitting our hitting our notes on this one it definitely hit what it was going for when it came out it made it made its budget back the first weekend that it came out and it went on to gross 25 million dollars on a on a shoestring budget so i definitely think it it did great with what it uh, when it came out um and so so is this movie still relevant today josh I feel like it is. Um, I think you take a step back and you look at the world we live in as far as the our prison system. I think it's kind of scary. You consider the whole industrial prison complex and the amount of people that are in jail in America. Uh, this is a little bit of a soapbox topic for me, so I won't go like too too crazy long on it. But uh, it's crazy how there are more people incarcerated in America than the rest of the world combined. Mm. So to think of you know, an entire borough of New York as just this city prison, and we have the majority of the world's prisoners in our own country, that's pretty crazy. It is, especially the opening line, too, when they're like, when you go in, you don't come out. And right. so it's like, it doesn't matter what you did to get in there. Like, there's no hope for getting out. And that is right. kind of the circular prison that we have right now oh and totally going back on a little little i just thought this was ironic so last week we did minority report which is the premise of that movie is how they were in a world where they had managed to get crime down to virtually nothing and then a week later we hear escape from new york where crime is a 400 percent so we've kind of that, we kind of that, flipped the script and went completely the other direction. Which I that that was on purpose. Huh? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we we had that much foresight to put these two movies together like that. <laughs> yeah. So I forgot we need to rate. Okay, so hitting the we're so bad at the rating system. So hitting. Okay, so did the movie hit its hit its mark when it came in? Uh, I give it an A. Yes, it hit its mark when it came out. For sure. Is it still and relevant? I personally, yes. I because of what I was just saying about how uh, our prison system is today, and how that it was portrayed in that movie. I think it's it's definitely relevant in my opinion. So I would also give it an A for relevance. I I think I would give it an A as well because also too with us talking about how is the movie relevant today. This movie is a classic. This is definitely, this is not a cult classic. This is a classic 80s action movie. For sure. And this is the movie that made Kurt Russell extra famous for, for so many oh, people. Yeah. And well, he, I, it, this made him an action star. Yes. He was, he was uh, you know, a Disney's poster boy for a while and was you know famous for that. But this one, he was a legit action star after this. Yes. Yes, he was. And yeah. it carried him. It carried him through the '80s and the '90s, and even into 2000s. I mean, yeah. I mean, who can forget Sky High? That's another fantastic it is. Well, Disney hey, action movie. We we laugh, but actually, I really like that movie. <laughs> I do too. Like, it's so funny. It looks so dumb, and then you watch it, and you're like, "That was a good movie." It was. It actually had a really cool story. <laughs> um, all right, personal enjoyment. What well, about it? What about it, Josh? I, I do have to. <laughs> I'm trying not to overrate these things because I'm gonna. I need to give myself room to grow. But <laughs> it's I a double A. a <laughs> I give it a B for personal entertainment, and it's mainly just because I love Kurt Russell so much. I 
I think the movie is probably a C, but I'm giving it a B because of my fanboyness for Mr. Russell. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for me, personal enjoyment, I rate, so my, my idea of personal enjoyment is like an, an A movie for me is, aha, I'm not going to tell you what my A movies are. <laughs> We're going to yeah, get there eventually. It, don't do it. Just, but, just, what did you rate this at? Well, I was just saying my A movies are the movies where it's like, I, those are my midnight watches where it's like, I, it doesn't matter what's happening the next day. I have to finish this movie because this movie's sure. amazing. So personal enjoyment this movie's, I'm not gonna lie, this movie's growing on me. The more I think about it and talk about it, I, I kind of want to watch it again, like, this week. Oh, yeah. So, I would definitely say it's a C for me, but it has the potential of becoming a B, potentially, in the future. I need, I want to watch it again. I did really enjoy it, and it was good, but I'm def, definitely a solid film. So, I know that, for a lot of people, it is a midnight watch. Oh, yeah. I would definitely watch a portion of it before i went to bed <laughs> i mean yes. i'll finish it but i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna give it a solid a solid look for a minute so so for me to be kind of stingy it depends on what part of the movie we're at so that is the that is huge man that it is it's so funny how there are scenes in certain movies that just grabs you i don't care what you're doing you may have to pee so bad and you're just like oh i gotta watch this part right even if i've seen this movie i could tell you the scene uh, it's like the one scene from Reign of Fire where they're reenacting Star Wars for the kids. And it's like, you can reenact the scene already, but but it's on. You got to watch it. Got to watch it, for sure. All right. So here is the clue coming up for the movie for next week. So this is a, a two-person clue. I'll go ahead and do the, the first part. So here we go. Kill me before the war is over, will you? It appears that you are not the better man. You're right. My sons were better men. I'm choking up. It's so emotional. <laughs> so, so emotional. All right. Well, definitely hang in there, guys. The next one's going to be awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out this movie that we just talked about, we, uh, Josh, did you, did you watch it on Amazon Prime as well? I did. Okay. So it's on Amazon Prime right now if you want to check it out. And I think the sequel's on there too if you want to check that out as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. So if you're enjoying the crispy, amazing sound of us, that's all thanks to Jake Colvin. And then, yes, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends or anyone you think that would like it. And please hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, We'd also just appreciate any kind of positive review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Also, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at our brand new email, the Midnight Watch Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, that's right. So if you have anything negative to say, definitely email us. Don't put it on the ratings. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're just getting game here. <laughs> We're just getting started, please. <laughs> we'll give you a be shout gen- out. Be yeah. gentle. Be gentle. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna cut that out. <laughs> that's like the Princess Bride. Gently. Gently. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks, everybody. Have a great week. And as always, keep up the watch.